Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 315. We are in the beginning of the month of Tammuz, called by the Friedrich Rebbe, Chedesh HaGeula, the month of liberation. Because in this month, on the 12th and 13th of Tammuz, 93 years ago, in 1927, Tafresh Pei the Friedrich Rebbe was liberated from prison after all those false accusations of counter-revolutionary activity, which basically meant he was fighting to keep Judaism alive in the former Soviet Union. And he was liberated, and as the Friedrich Rebbe wrote in a letter to the first anniversary of that liberation in Tafresh Peiches, he wrote, Not I alone was redeemed and liberated on this day. But this is a geula for all Jewish people from all backgrounds, even someone who's b'shem Yisrael Yechuna, which means he doesn't identify as a Jew, he's just using just the name, even though fundamentally and at the essence he's Jewish, but he doesn't identify. Everybody was redeemed. And the Rebbe explains why it was such a central liberation. So we're coming to that week. Next Shabbos will be with Beis Tammuz because the government was closed due to a holiday so the, technically, the actual Geula happened on the 13th of Tammuz. So we celebrate Yud Beis, Yud Gimel. But for us, Tammuz also has another element to it. We're just coming from Gimel Tammuz, the 3rd of Tammuz. This past Thursday, the 26th year from that dark day, when the sun stopped, was silenced, and as I discussed last week in many of the programs that I did over these momentous days, that though the sun in some way is concealed, but it continues to shine in full glory, just not of different part of the globe. Like when you see a sun sets, the sun continues to shine. It's just a different part of the earth. In addition, is that the sun continues to give light to the stars, as the Alter Rebbe says in the end of the Biyur, the explanation of Ageres HaKedosh 27. And we are those stars, we are those stars. The stars that are the students and disciples and Hasidim, Shluchim, who continue to gain and grow and twinkle in the heavens, even in a dark night, the light that we've gained from our Rebbe. And at this point, Gimel Tammuz, as in contrast to Gimel Tammuz 20, uh, 1927, 20, 93 years ago, did I say 97, I'm sorry, 97 years ago. Um, 93 years ago, 93 years ago. In contrast to that, then the Gimel Tammuz was the day when, they, when the Friedrich Rebbe received notice that he would be commuted, his sentence was commuted from death, to exile. So at the time, no one knew how it would turn out, but it did turn out that it was the beginning, as the Rebbe calls it, Aschalta de the beginning of his total liberation. Now, Gimel Tamas, in our time, we have not yet seen the complete liberation, but we believe with complete faith and based on history and based on everything we're taught, that everything is for the good. That even though there may be setbacks or concealments or darkness, there is an ending that will be greater than ever. 
And when you see it in that context, every step toward that ending, toward the end of the story, is also part of that liberation. So may we merit to see that in our immediately in this week, even before you Gimel Tamas. So as we always begin with something that is related to the time, that's why I'm mentioning that. We live with the times, it's also the chapter in the Torah of Chukas and Bolok, two chapters together. So Chassidus applied, what is the application, what lessons can we learn from this? So I've discussed Yud Beis Yud Gimel Tamos and Chukas and Bolok in previous years. I always like to give cross-references, so I'll tell you what years they were. In episode 73, 123, 169, 218, 267, and 268. I say that because it's, I learned from the Rebbe that you always need to cross-reference. Everything needs to have sources. So since this subject was discussed, you know, my life, thank God, is already now in its seventh year. So every year, this period of time in the year, we discuss this. And you can find these archives all at chassidusapply.com, which is now growing and becoming more and more popular website, a, uh, a repository of all types of Hasidic resources applying Hasidus to our lives. There's an entire section of Samachvov and an Ayin Beis, and of course these archives, as well as other tools that you can make avail yourself of, including submitting any question or comment or feedback right there in a completely anonymous forum, again, chassidusapply.com. You'll also find essays, essays written by people from all over the world, over the past six years, in the essay contest that we run every year annually, where they take a topic, the writers, the essayists, a topic, address a contemporary issue or challenge, and we're using chassidus to address and uh, perhaps suggest methodologies and interventions. It's been a fascinating experience, the, the contest, and this year we have the contest, except due to the God's plan of the pandemic, Whatever that plan entails, things have been delayed, but I assure you, people keep asking, we will, we will make the announcement greater and bigger than ever. We're planning some event, hopefully, and uh, you'll hear from us about that. So we've been consistent, and we've been people of our word, so you can rely that we will deliver, and we will honor and respect all the time and energy that was invested by you who've written the essays, even those who wanted to write the essays and share that with the public and announce the winners of this year's Tovshin Pei essay contest. Okay. So, there are many lessons we can derive from Yud Beis Yud Gimel Tammuz. The first and most important one is how one man, the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, stood up against a formidable, a formidable Malucha, Empire, Soviet Union, with Stalin at its head, right after the revolution. And they were completely doing everything possible to eradicate and repress anything Jewish. There was particular hatred to the Jews. Many of the leaders, and remember, Russia at the time, Soviet Union, was the former Russia under, under the Tsars, was a center of Jewish life for a long period, for, for centuries. Some say there were over 10 million Jews by the turn of the century, the 20th century, 
But then, because it was simply impossible, that's when the first immigration to the United States began. After the pogroms in the early 20th century, the late 19th century. And there was an option, so people began to leave. Millions left. Then there was the second immigration after World War II. Here the Friedrich Rebbe, who of course was born there, a son of his father, the Rebbe Rashab, who was a son of the Rebbe Marash. So this is Russia, Soviet Union, or Russia is their, this is their homeland. Obviously, Israel is a Jewish homeland, but this is where they were born, where God wanted them to be. So as many people tried to escape, and many rabbis and teachers felt it was impossible, Judaism couldn't survive there, the Friedrich Rebbe insisted to do whatever he can to keep it alive. He was not going to run to save himself. He was a leader. There were millions of people. And now suddenly everything was shut down. Under the Tsar, there was no forbidding Judaism. They were persecuted. They were terrorized. They were attacked. But there was no official effort to eradicate Judaism. Here, so they lived in, in, in poverty. They lived in very dire circumstances. Here, it was a total eradication was the interest of the Soviets. For whatever reason. And the Jewish communists were the worst of all, the Evsexia. So they targeted the Friedrich Rebbe because he was that undaunting force. And they recognized that as long as he's there, it's going to be very difficult to break the spirit of the Jewish people. So they arrested him with all the different pretenses as an enemy, an enemy of the Republic, an enemy of the Soviet Union. So what hung in the balance was not a small factor here. Friedrich Rebbe recognized that. He recognized it wasn't just his own private. They arrested him as an individual citizen. Thousands, if not millions, were looking and watching. And the Friedrich Rebbe made that resolute decision that he will not cooperate, that he will stand strong despite the dangers, and he prevailed. That alone is a lesson in life. To prevail when circumstances are maybe challenging but not life-threatening is one thing. So it remains an event in history which is really not appreciated by most. Even those of us are aware of it, no, it's now, written, as I said, 93 years later. So we know the story and we relive it as much as we can. But when you really think of the magnitude, it's an unbelievable lesson in all times, especially in times of uncertainty and disruption like we're living through now which can't be compared at all to that disruption, even though this has taken lives. But that type of unsettled situation requires that infinite power, that relentless power that comes from the amuna, the faith, and the fortitude, and the strength, and the resolve to forge ahead and to not give in even to that type of darkness. Of course, we've seen it also with the Rebbe Rashab, how he responded to the Soviets, the last Purim, Chaim Chayuse Baal Medein. So it's not a surprise, but the Friedrich Rebbe personified Mesidus Nefesh like no other, because he was faced with the harshest of all circumstances. Now, the Alter Rebbe was also arrested. There was also a threat, and Takyutas Kisto becomes a great holiday. But it was a very different type of threat then. 
Here, it was in many ways far more life-threatening, and more importantly, it would affect the whole Jewish people because this was a war against Judaism. The pretense by the Alter Rebbe was that he was helping Turkey because Israel was under the Turkish rule at the time. And they, and they discovered these were all false charges. But here, this was what they wanted. They wanted to kill the leader of the Jewish people, the Friedrich Kadeb. So his liberation is not just a liberation of his own, it was a liberation for the Jewish people. The Rebbe even says a liberation for the whole world because it taught that even in this materialistic world where we have all kinds of distractions, there are things we believe in. And when you stand strong with what you believe, you will prevail. Rachman al-Islan, Rachman al-Islan, God forbid, had the Friedrich Rebbe not prevailed. So of course, God is, Am Yisrael Chai, the Jewish people are, will always be here. But who, who can imagine what would happen? In 1967, actually, in Tav Zayin, the Rebbe said that in the Fabrengen, Yud Beis Tamas, why is it so, a geula that has such impact? The Rebbe says, because if it's something that happened then, there was no one there to take over. The Rebbe was not yet even married to the Rebbe. And the whole circumstance was not. It wasn't like there was everything was a peaceful transition. They'd have a new Rebbe. The Rebbe says it would have ended right there. God forbid. So the, the magnitude of it is quite powerful and its lesson to us is powerful. We all, we all have our setbacks. We all have our challenges. We all have our difficulties. And when you come to think of it, some of them are petty in contrast, in comparison. But yet in our minds they're big. And sometimes they are serious and sometimes they are quite formidable. So we take a lesson and we listen to the story of Yud Beis Yud Gimel Tamas and we say, the Rebbe didn't just do it for himself, he did it to give us strength, to stand strong, to see it through and prevail. So it's one of the greatest demonstrations of the power of faith in Amunah through history. Is it the only one? Of course not. But especially for Chassidi Chabad, especially in our modern day and age, with a, a, an empire like the Soviet Union, which was formidable, which was impossible to imagine how you could pierce that iron curtain, prevailed, and not only that, when you go now to the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, what do you find? A renaissance of Jewish life. And you can even trace that the efforts made by the Friedrich Rebbe kept the embers burning. Perhaps low, perhaps not so prominent, but it kept them burning. And the day came, in 1990, when the Soviet Union, the empire fell as that prison of the Jewish people, a prison for so many people, and bloodlessly, as the Rebbe emphasizes, no question it was ultimately the, the ultimate victory that began in 1927. It took time. And there were plenty of sacrifices and plenty of price, and dues were paid. The price was paid. So each of us has our That's the expression used in the Gemara. It says that nothing can separate between God, the people and their Father in Heaven, God, even a mechitza shal barzel, even an iron curtain which was the name used for the Russia, the Soviet Union, an iron curtain, to demonstrate its, uh, its toughness, its, its, its strength, its, uh, the iron curtain. 
and it's actually a gemara, but nothing can separate. It just makes, takes time and takes commitment and devotion. So that's one lesson, which is also, if you think about it, the lessons we learn from Chukas and Balak, Balak, which both Pashas talk about that type of strength. Chukas Chassidus explains, also comes from the word Chakike, which means engraved. So even though Chukim refers to one of the three different categories of mitzvahs, there's Mishpatim, the rational laws, there's Edis, the commemorative laws, and Chukim are the super-rational, yet it's the super-rational that demonstrates something that the other two do not. Even though, as the Friedrich Rebbe says, all mitzvahs have to be done with a super-rational commitment. But once it has rationale to it, it doesn't weaken it, but it somewhat dilutes its pure impact. And I don't mean that in a negative way. The point is that it should penetrate and be internalized in our minds. A chukah does because you're doing it only because God said so. There's nothing in your mind that would ever indicate or compel you to do it that f- reflects the chikika in the soul, something that's deep and profound. What is chikika? Difference in written words and letters, written letters and words, and engraved letters and words. Written letters is a parchment or a piece of paper, and you take ink and you write it. So now they become united, but you can just they were once separate. You can separate them again. You can erase it. You can wear out. That's why we have to check a mezuzah, tefillin, and sefer Chikike, once it's engraved in stone, it's part of the stone. The only way to get rid of it is get rid of the stone. It's so part and parcel. It's not two entities, Chassidus explains. So that demonstrates a connection, a devotion, that isn't just, okay, I'm doing it, and I'm committed to doing it. But me and the thing I'm doing are still two separate entities. This is total, through and through. Because the chikike itself, you could have chikike. That doesn't go through and through the stone. There's a chikika like the luches, the tablets that Moshe received at Sinai. That chikika is through and through. And that reflects a total commitment that you can't separate between you and your commitment. This is what the Friedrich Rebbe demonstrated. Because it could only have been something that came from his core. Because when you're challenged and it's difficult, you're tortured, that's the test. That's when you see if you're really not one with something, it'll be easier for you to give it up and say, you know what, I can't deal with this torture. But if it's who you are, then no matter what they'll do to you, no matter what kind of oppression you go through, it's part of who you are. It's like saying, I will no longer love my spouse and my children because someone tortured me. It's part of who you are. Friedrich Rebbe was like a fish in water, like the Gemara gives the example of Akiva that you can't separate between the two. This is my life and sustenance. It's not even an option. I tell a story that I heard the Rebbe had a lot of nachas from, that when the Russian Jews started coming out in the early, well, early 70s, so the Rebbe encouraged them to visit different Jewish leaders. And two of the chassidim went to see Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. One was, uh, name was Rabbi Notik, I think is, uh, yeah, and Motl um, Kazlina. And in the middle of their conversation, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein asked them, so how did you endure 
How'd you endure? You know, it was not one day, two days. It was years, a whole lifetime of fighting uphill battle, maintaining to be a from Jew, dealing with such an enemy. Again, as the Rebbe points out, it says, if they were challenged, the challenge would have been sustained. Who knows what would have happened? Their Nisoyim was a moment. Choose this or choose that. And they chose them to be thrown into the fire. But if it was an ongoing onslaught, assault on their beliefs, we don't know. And here, he said, the Rebbe says, 70 years, 70 years, close to 70 years, from 1920, or a little earlier, until finally the Iron Curtain broke open. And Jews could celebrate their Judaism there once again. So Rabbi Moshe asked them, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, how did you endure? So Abot um, Lukaslinner answered, well, Midfort Gehat, we had, after all had a Purim, a Simchasteira, a Yutas Kislev. Many to say that we had this Yom Tevim, we'd say Lachayim, and we were able to transcend our tzaras, our difficulties. And the Renotik said, to, the, to Ramayushi, he said, Abreira Hamen Gehat, did we have a choice? And that blew him away. Ramayushi, why? Because it, there it was, okay, a holiday, you had, you had ways to escape the difficulties, to get beyond it. He says, we had no choice. It's like asking, we should stop breathing. The demonstration, and this is, these are chassidim. And this all originates from the Rebbe. There's no choice. And the good way, no choice. You're so committed and devoted, it's engraved through and through. Chukas. Which, of course, explains why in Bolok, in Parsha Bolok, when Bilam is commissioned to curse the Jews, he tells Bolok immediately, these are people that, these are God's people. They're one. I cannot do anything to them that God doesn't allow me to do to them. And of course, that's what ends up happening. As much as Bilam wanted to curse them, they ended up being blessings, the greatest blessings. And blessings, even the blessings that hint to the Gula Amitiz Vashlema. Blessings we say in the davening every day. Matevo Eilach Yaakov. Yisrael. And on and on. Because they are one. And you cannot curse the people that are one. But then there's the end of the story, which teaches us how careful we have to be. You want to attack them, you have to get them to become vulnerable. You have to them, they, can, they are the only ones that can weaken themselves. We can't weaken them. And that's when he comes up with a plot to send the Moabite women, the Midianite women, to seduce the Jewish people. And that cause the problems. The lessons of this are so powerful, both collectively and individually. But on a personal level, it comes down to that we have in our spirit such power, more than we can ever imagine. You look and you read the Rebbe's words, answers, Yechida's private audiences, Fabrengans, by dollars, the different things you see a common thread, this constant resolve, this relentless resolve of we can always do it. There's no challenge that we can't overcome. So when it comes to Basil Gimel Thomas, it's easy to see and trace that type of attitude. 
Now, God should help us. We shouldn't need Tzoros to bring out that type of power and strength. But it's there. And I say it also because we're coming from Gimel Tammuz. It's a challenging day, a very challenging day. Now, I, I don't know if you've seen, but I've done programs, probably 15 programs just in those two days, Wednesday and Thursday, this past Wednesday and Thursday. And I saw the reaction from people from one part of the world to the next. I spoke at groups, an entire large group in England, in California, everything online today, so you're really international. Whatever you're doing can be seen by everybody. The common thread is that people really respond and resonate and resonates with them that message of total commitment. So Gimel Thomas is a challenge. The Rebbe is physically not here. Perhaps in some ways greater than the challenge that was Jude Bezid, Gimel Thomas, because the Rebbe was there. Friedrich Rebbe was there. Yes, it was difficult and it was threatening, but he came out and they had that. Now we don't have the physical Rebbe with us. So it's a tremendous challenge. It's so easy to say, you know what? I give up or you know, I don't have to have that same type of drive. But I say to you and I say to myself, the contrary, the true sign of devotion is not when everything is shining. It's when the night settles in after the sun sets. And what will happen then? So it can go pitch black or the stars emerge. The sparkling, twinkling, glistening, glittering stars. We are those stars. And now is our time to demonstrate the true power of the sun. The face of Moshe and the Moshe of every generation is like the face of the sun. But the sun continues to shine. It's just in a different way. As in the manuscript that I publicized, it actually comes from the Moscow archives. The Mitla, the Mitla Rebbe says the sun shines in two ways. By day it shines directly, and by night it shines indirectly, through us. So on the contrary, we have a far stronger and greater responsibility to demonstrate that after thousands of years, thousands, from the beginning of our long marathon, our history, and through everything we've gone through, as you'd base Thomas, you'd Gimel Thomas, another milestone, watershed moment, and then finally our Gimel Thomas, that we will continue to fight, I'm talking about a spiritual fight, we will continue to forge ahead, by you so move forward, to do everything possible to live up to the legacy, directives, and teachings of the Rebbe, which really distill and channel all the teachings of all the Rabbeim, which in effect distill and channel all the teachings from the beginning of time from Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai in an unbroken chain. Now some people say, I don't have the strength, so hook up with others that do. Be involved. Get yourself a project that you're involved in. Do something. Action. Action is the force that counters the lethargy of a status quo. An action breaks through. That's what we need to be looking to do. And with that, good segue to a few questions. Starting with some Gimel Thomas follow-up. Someone writes, is the best way to honor the Rebbe on Gimel Thomas to make a positive hachlota 
teva, a positive good resolution, to increase in acts of goodness and kindness. Absolutely. Firstly, the Rebbe said those words to, to the CNN reporter who asked the Rebbe, what's your message for the world? And the Rebbe said exactly that. Mashiach is on his way and we can speed up his coming through acts of increased acts of goodness and kindness. Otherwise known, tzedek v'yesher, virtue. This is a message for everybody. Is it the only way to uh, honor? It's a great way because it really includes all of Torah and Mitzvahs. What does Hillel say? Which you dislike, don't do unto others. Basically that all of Torah and Mitzvahs is being kind, being gentle, being loving, being giving, being compassionate. Or in the words of, of the Rabbi Akiva, This is the fundamental principle of Torah, as the Alter Rebbe explains in chapter Lev, Lamed Beis, also pronounced as love, chapter on love, on loving another, that love is the essence of Kol That's why Hillel said that. Because love is transcendence. It's not about you alone. You transcend your physical body. And nafshei ike Your spirit is primary. And your body and your material being is secondary. It's the vehicle. And when you do that, then the spirit transcends the body's the bodies are divided and separate. Everyone has me, me, me. That's how physical reality exists. Confined in time and space, two people can't occupy the same physical space and time. However, when I say time, of course two people can live in the same time. We're talking about in the parameters of time. They're very distinct, one time from the next. However, from the spirit point of view, it transcends that. And that's what the whole Torah comes to do. So goodness and kindness captures all of it. But obviously, more specifically, if you're talking about how to honor the Rebbe, is what it says, what iskashus means. To honor the Rebbe by learning his teachings, his Torah, by following his directives, and above all, the primary directive of the Deirashvi, to help do everything you can, to thousands of can, to bring the Geula Mitis Vashlem. Another person asks, how can we know if on a personal level we have made a successful connection with the Rebbe? I think the answer is obvious. The Evan Haboichim, the litmus test of everything is what did it yield? What fruit did it bear? The Rebbe would often say that if you speak, and sometimes he would say it harshly about himself, which we all did not like to hear, if you speak and nothing comes of it, it does not have an impact on people in a way that they are driven to action. It's dvarim betalim, wasted words, empty words. For the Rebbe, this was a very painful experience because that was his whole mishmuhus of the Rebbe, was to direct, to guide, and nasi, to motivate. So the Evan Abaychen, you want to know how do we know if you're a successful connection? It comes down to what you're going to do a moment later. You can sit at a fabrengen and be inspired and say l'chaim and sing songs and listen to stories and tell stories and a true inspiration. But inspiration dissipates. The language of chassidus, eiris, need kalim. You need kalim. The true test of a real experience is what happens a moment later. What happens the, day, the next day, the following days. That's where you see the commitment. 
So inspiration is relatively easy. Maintenance is the challenge. Maintaining it. And not just maintaining it, but letting it grow further and further. You talk about Gimel's Tammuz. To stand and dance with the Rebbe Simchas or listen to the Rebbe blow Shefer Rosh Hashanah, or participate Yom Kippur in the davening, and then the Rebbe's dance at the end, or the Brachas, and Erev Yom Kippur. And I'm just using the, the highlights of the Yomim Neroyim, and Sukkis Simchas Or in general, Shabbosim, Yom Tevim, the weekdays, so we were lifted on the, on the arms and the wings of the Rebbe. It was easy. All you had to do was show up. You didn't have to work hard at it. You were just lifted, carried. But then when the sun sets, from our perspective, not from the sun's perspective, not from other parts of existence perspective, the sun begins to set. You know what happens then? Then you see the cracks begin to emerge. What do you look like when the sunlight is not shining in your face? Not shining and consuming and saturating everything around it. When the sun sets, you start seeing. And that's when the real test is. Will you be a star that shines? Will you continue? Now you have to do something with your own initiative. Of course it's with the keiches and the strings that the Rebbe blesses and gives and continues to give. Malahalen emed mishamish. Just as then he stood upright and served as a leader, so too now. But now you have to prove it's like you're not sitting in front of the Rebbe in his presence. What will you do when you are, so to speak, on your own? We're never on our own. But in any revealed way, it's on our own. Same question like what Chassidus says about the Tzimtzum Arishan. God concealed the divine energy in order to allow for independent consciousness to emerge. That independent consciousness is all of us. It would evolve level by level until it became this yesh agashri v'chumri, like the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, Perik Lamed Vav, not in space, the lowest, but in Gili, the concealment after concealment until we live in a world, filled with all kinds of negative energy, corrupt energy, toxic energy, to the point that you could say, Aniva Afsiye, it's me and nothing else. It's all about me. The essence of egocentric life, self-interest, drives you. And that's the place that God wants you to transform. So the essential principles are there. Whatever Gimel Thomas represents is in concept is already the Tzimtzum addition. Except now it's very immediate and very real to us in a personal way. So light is shining, it ain't soft if at Tzimtzum. There's no room for another approach. All you have is divine consciousness. Now there's a concealment. The sun is concealed. The divine energy, everything self is concealed. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? That is the challenge. And that's the litmus test of what connection means. Okay. Another question someone asked, can you please share your experience from Gimel Thomas? I find that personal experiences... Personal experience is a lot more effective than philosophical discussions. Please share your personal experience and how you felt if you're up to it. No one ever asked me whether I'm up to it. We do what we have to do, whether you're up to it or not. We don't have time to uh, spend figuring out our moods. And this is completely unique to me. 
what I'm going to say now is not about anybody else. And I'm not even advocating that you have to take my approach. You ask personal, I'll tell you personal. As painful and as sad as Gimel Thomas was, continues to be. You, you love the Rebbe. He's not here physically. You can't see him with your physical eyes. All that came with that, that living Mayan Hamas Gaber, that, that immortal energy that was ceaseless, relentless, fabringens, and everything about the Rebbe. So that's sad. However, on a personal note, I had my Gimel Thomas moment when I was a younger man, a Bachar in Yeshiva, 1977. The Rebbe had the heart attack in Shmini Yatzeris night. So I was a 20, 21-year-old guy then. In my heyday, so to speak. I hope it's still my heyday, but my heyday as a Bokhan Yeshiva, those years where you have nothing but the Rebbe, Chsidis, Teda. And, and that was a very frightening moment for all of us. The Rebbe had a serious, they called a killer heart attack. It was a small matter, those that were aware. And even though this was not spoken openly, but I, in my own Chatosiani Maskir, I acknowledge my uh, iniquities. So as a thinking person and as a a natural skeptic, I said to myself, though though I couldn't speak about it with anyone, what will happen here? Here people are giving their entire lives, committed to the Rebbe, Shluchim, people doing whatever work they're doing. And of course I still thought about myself. I was already getting involved in the Sichas, the Chazara. I was working in Sefer Lekutim, Tzemach encyclopedia that the Rebbe initiated just a year before. Actually, one second. Yes, yes, a year before this was Lamed Ches, Lamed Zayin, Nittl, right, Chanukah time. So, and it wasn't a personal selfish, what's going to be with me? I was just thinking, what's... And, and I trusted the Rebbe as a person who'd never forsake, God forbid, his, his flock. And then... Ashgach Pratis led me to the story of Shmuel Munkus. Shmuel Munkus, now we have more details, was of course the Alter Rebbe's Chassid. They came to arrest the Alter Rebbe. This is the full story how it's written up in the Rishimus. And Shmuel Munkus, I'm sorry, they came to arrest the Alter Rebbe. It was the middle of the night. Alter Rebbe had a hiding place where he would hide in case somebody was coming. And he hid. The soldiers came in. They started looking around. They were rowdy. They asked the Rebetzin, the Alter Rebetzin, the Alter Rebetzin, where is it? She says she doesn't know. They slapped her. The Rishima says they knocked out a tooth. Then they left. The Alter Rebbe comes out of his hiding place. And what do you know? A few little while later, there's a knock on the window. Shmuel Munkus. Now the Alter Rebbe didn't know that. And the Rebetzin, they got frightened again. They look through the window. They see it's Shmuel Munkus. He comes in the Alter Rebbe system. You also come at night, which means you're also like f- frightening us. You know who comes at night? Mazikim come at night. The destructive forces dominate the night. The vampires. I'm just adding my own. So he said, I didn't know that by the Rebbe there's night. Which itself, an interesting Shmuel Munkers in general seemed to be a nachtfegel, a night person. 
All the stories are at night. When he first came to the Alta Rebbe, it was at night. And here too. Then the Friedrich of the Alta Rebbe asks him, what do you suggest? Should I cooperate and allow myself to get arrested? And he said the famous words. And then those changed my entire life. You want a personal experience? I'm sharing it. He said, either or. If you're a Rebbe, nothing will affect you. Nothing's going to take away from you, even if you get arrested. What are you afraid of? And if you're not a Rebbe, so this is taken out from the Rishima, but I'll say it just to, to, for the effect. You deserve a bullet in your head, a coiling cup, fatsunem. The Tainuk for Nelam Hazar for Nazifal mentioned Ochsidim of Eden. You deserve a bullet to your head for taking away the pleasure from so many people. Now, how a Chosid can say this to Rebbe is another discussion. But maybe because the gravity of the issue. You're a Rebbe. Shmuel Mukas had no doubt he's a Rebbe. He was telling the Alta Rebbe. Let's call a spade a spade. This is reality, my friend. This struck me because then as a 20, 21-year-old young man, I said to myself, you know, time to grow up. If the Rebbe means what he means to you, it's Nitzchi. It's eternal. It makes no difference how God's plan works out. It may not always work out the way you understand it. You're only here when the party is going. And when it's a little darker and things are not exactly like the heart attack, you don't know what's going to be tomorrow or the next day. If you're in, you're in. Are you in this army? Are you in this cause or you're not in? So I said to myself. And if you don't believe in it, or as soon as things are getting a little difficult, you're out. That alone tells you what kind of commitment you have. Make a decision. And I did. And I never looked back. So when Gimel Thomas happened, I had that, if you want to call it, moment of crisis. Crisis of faith. I don't know if that's the right word. But moment of crisis, moment of question. So the pain was still there, the loss was there. But the philosophical and the ideological and the psychological, I'm in. MS is MS. Of course we all would have preferred no Gimel Tamus. Of course we would have preferred not one moment of even any distance or darkness or concealment. But you know what? We don't run the show. If anybody had the reminder, we got a rude one in the last few months. God runs the show. It's his choreography. I don't even attempt to try to understand it. It's a waste of time to try to understand it. Yeah, here and there you may understand a few things. But the real mystery of existence, why Nesava Kodesh Baruch Hu Yisle did it The Alter Rebbe already took care of that question. He said, That's it. You can't ask a question on a taiva. You can't ask a question on a God that created questions and answers and created the laws of logic and the laws of rational mind and so on. It's like asking a question. He created I, 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 the, the logic. So you're going to ask a question on something, why did he create logic? You don't have an answer to that. So once you're at peace with that, that's the mystery. The question now is, are you in or you're not in? I don't want to say the second option, but I'm saying it like Shmuel Munkus says. So of course there's so many emotions to share of that fateful day 26 years ago. And I would even add Chav Zayin Oder was a two and a half years before that, a little more, 
a little less than two and a half years before that, the stroke, which was the beginning, unfortunately, of what would come. And for me personally, I, my whole life was writing Fabrengans, was being a chayzer and amaniyach. That's what I did. So besides the, all the other problems, I also was out of a job. Not that it was exactly a high-paying job, but it was my life. It was better than a high-paying job. It's my lo- labor of love. My whole life was orbited around the Rebbe's schedule. When he fabring, when he didn't fabring, the whole week was followed that. And then preparing in the deadlines to give it into the Rebbe for editing and all the excitement and the euphoria, which is another discussion. Of course I miss all that. It was, it's hard to describe the, the, the high, the transcendence of a self that's completely dedicated to something of that quality. But as an adult, which I made already that decision when I became 2021, 20, I'm in. This is not about whether it's always comfortable the way we like it. It's on the contrary. If you believe in it and you're so much part of it, now is the time that you need to shine. You need to rise to the occasion. Not because of an ego trip, but because you, if you really believe in that cause, and now, what happens now? When the light is not shining, the cause stops? doesn't stop. On the contrary, we are now more accountable and more responsible than ever before. I can go on, as you can imagine, for hours on this. But I made an exception, even though Chesidah Supplied is not really getting into my personal experiences, though everything is end of the day personal, whether I say it's me or not, but you say what you are experiencing. So I shared in the spirit of Gimel Tammuz and coming Yud Beis Yud Gimel Tammuz. At the end of the day, apply Chesidah, my friends is applying it to yourself. It's not just a nice concept. You're applying it to life, a nice psychological application. It's about you and I taking a real challenge we have, and we all have challenges, God knows, and taking chassidus, taking what the Rabbeim and the Rebbe taught us, and using it to actually help improve, provide clarity, provide direction, guidance, strength, hope, to help actualize Yours and mine, great, unbelievable potential in fulfilling our calling and mission in this world, especially the mission of the Deir Ashvi, to reveal the echad of Alufa Shalelam in the Gaila and turn Gaila into Gula. Okay. With that, let us go to some other topics. Tearing down statues. Okay. <laughs> Hey, man, alive. If it wasn't so sad, it would be such a comedy, what's going on in the world now. I mean, first we had this pandemic, and it's still not over now. There's who knows what's going on. The COVID-19, and then came the racial and the social unrest. I mean, okay. And yes, they're tearing down statues. So here's the question. Nowadays, there are arguments about whether or not to tear down statues. What this person is referring to, if you don't know, maybe Tove Lecha Baruch, as the Rebbe would say, but in this whole unrest, now looking for symbols of oppression. So whether it's different war heroes or political leaders, so there are statues all across the country. The United States of America has full statues of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and of the generals of that fought the battles and different stories. So some feel these statues, some of them, are symbols of an old age where there was institutionalized, oppression, that they now need to be removed. So there's, that's itself a discussion. Is that, 
Now we all understand that's not meant to be the rule of law is not in the hands of the of the mob, of a lynch, uh, a lynch, a lynch, a, uh, a the law is handled in a court of law. It's a political process. You have an issue, bring it up. So that's a given. That's not what I'm going to discuss. This person asks. Didn't Avram Avinu destroy many statues, some of which might have been owned by his father? Also, is it against Allah to make a statue, even of a noble person, and not for purposes of idolatry, because we are forbidden to make a graven image? Okay, everything's Ashgacha Pratis since this is happening. And as you know, I don't censor people right ask questions. Let's address it. Well, First of all, yes, correct. We don't make statues. That's why you don't find that the Jews ever made, even art was limited, especially of human beings, for the different halachic reasons and, of course, philosophical reasons. There's one God, we don't make graven images, especially of the images of human beings. The exceptions you find where you find uh, different uh, like images of of the Pnei Merkava and Amkpareches, that's been explained in different places, not for here. But I don't see any connection to what's going on in the United States. The fact that, yes, we don't, we don't make images. You don't find the Jews ever made an image of a human being, not Moshe Rabbeinu, not Shleim HaMelech, not Dovid HaMelech, and so on. The fact that the secular culture of this country, or, um, or the, this is part of the... the, the the, the culture of this time is they make statues. It's nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. Jews would not make statues. But it has nothing to do with the issues at hand. The reason these statues are being defiled or pulled down is not because of idolatry. If that was the reason that we're here to fight all forms of idolatry, then take down all statues. And I, you're correct to say these statues are not, would not be called an idol. If you have a statue of Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or someone else. It's not called an idol. It's called an idol if you worship it. So we still don't make statues, but that doesn't mean every statue on earth is, a, is an idol. Regardless, that's not the reason. Not because they've got a problem with idolatry. Frankly, if it was all about God, we wouldn't have all these issues in the first place, that every human being is created in the divine image. That's what we should be embracing. Besides the political elements of it, I don't see any relation. Avram Avinu destroying idols was a completely ideological and spiritual and religious action. What was it? He recognized this whole pagan world in which he lived, including his father's and idol manufacturers is a bunch of nonsense. So he destroyed idols because to him it was, a, it, was a, uh, it was a violation. It was a defilement of everything that what God means with all the stories involved in it. So I wouldn't even make a comparison not even connected to that. I wouldn't even, one, one drop of connection that someone who defiles or, or pulls down an idol is like Avramovich. No, no, no way. It's not connected to it. But since you brought up the question, I'm just making the distinctions. Today it's political, and as I said, there's a legal process for this. Since when do you do whatever you want? Everybody's going to go and just pull down and put up any statue they like. Is that the, that's a new way of going, doing things. So that, I hope, covers this question. Yeah. Fireworks. That's next. Fireworks. If God, so let me just say what's been happening. Here in this part of the world, in New York, in Brooklyn, 
So part of the unrest in the streets, which was first started with looting and violent protests, yes, some peaceful protests as well, after the killing and murder of George Floyd in, in Minneapolis. So then began a new thing, a new a new klala, a new parsha. That midnight or sometime in the night, fireworks began to explode. First we thought it was bombs. Then we realized fireworks through the night, disturbing, disrupting, waking up children. Just like I felt like a, a downtown Beirut, night after night after night. My feeling was violate, being violated, like a lawlessness, a hefkatus. Everybody can do whatever they want. You make a simcha and you sing light at night. Neighbors will call the police and they'll tell you to quiet down. Here nobody was responding. Finally, a few people from the community, they drove up to uh, Gracie Mansion in a peaceful way, lined up cars and minivans and so on, began to honk all together and the siren, and alarms went off. We can't sleep, you can't sleep. An interesting approach and actually that did wake them up realize what the issue was, so it's quite quieted down. Just sharing that. To me, the whole thing is what? What's going on here? I mean, it's, it's like what the vigilantes have taken control of the streets. But in the spirit, people have written, and I, as I can share with you, I get, we get letters every day, multitude of them. I try to read them all. Some of them, to be honest, I can't even read because they're either completely off the wall. But some are addressing issues. So here's another one. If God can split the Red Sea, can he also make a miracle and stop the loud fireworks keeping us awake at night? That's what one person wrote. <laughs> I mean, this was clearly written in frustration, but when this was written, the fireworks were still going uncontrolled. Now it's been controlled. Well, God doesn't split the sea every day. So let's uh, answer on a more serious note. He splits the sea when he wants to split it, and for a certain reason it happened once in history. In this situation, the best way that God works is through us, either through legal action or through going to the police or doing what was done to stop it. So that'd be my quick response to that. I understand when you're in the middle of the night and these fireworks are going off and you don't feel anybody's accountable and anybody's, there's no law and order, there's no rule of law, you start saying, okay, where's God? But usually the way to do this is from through our human efforts. When Mashiach comes, will there be loud, joyous celebrations in the street with music and dancing? Will our celebration be louder than the obnoxious fireworks over Crown Heights this week? <laughs> well, it's good to hear that some people are learning when they hear the fireworks right away thinking about Mashiach. If this is what Umazeh, the negative energy, is doing, this making all these obnoxious sounds, which I agree, it's obnoxious, so then will Mashiach also lead to celebrations in the street? The answer is Absolutely. But it won't be offending anyone and won't be disrupting anyone. Everyone will be part of the celebration. A world that's finally achieved and come to fruition and brought to fruition the purpose of existence. A world no famine and no war, no exploitation, no unhealthy corruption, corrupt corruption. Of course everyone will celebrate. And all the different expressions. I don't know if it, we can say it's going to be fireworks in the middle of the night because I don't know if that's called celebration. That time could be just... There's a tailor dika way, a godly way to celebrate and definitely will be great celebrations. So there you got a little taste of some of the, let's call it the more uh, bizarre elements of storylines growing out of this whole 
this whole, uh, the conditions that we're all going through these days. Okay. Should I move? So I did a program this uh, last week, this last Mitzray Shabbos, which you can find online. And I encourage you, this is a good time to make an announcement. We have now completely upgraded our calendar of events. You can see the current events, upcoming events. These are programs that are, are mostly online, obviously. Uh, programs covering the entire spectrum of issues for all types of audience, men, women, and children, personal issues, psychological issues, religious issues, Torah issues. So you can find it, you go to MeaningfulLife.com, it's right there on the homepage. But we also have MeaningfulLife.com slash calendar. And you can see the whole series of programs. We've also created a special page, Achsidus Applied slash Gimel Tammuz, all the Gimel Tammuz related events. So one of them was, should I move? Because this is a question that has come up in the last few months in a more, much more serious came to the top of the list of people, should I move? There's disruptions, my job is in question, or has been, I've been, the issues with the, the racial tensions. So I did a whole program with a panel, and you can check it out, should I move? So as I said, available at, on our site, you can find all the links. So someone's writing, regarding tonight's talk on should I move, I would like to point out that unless the brakes are put on the powers that be who accelerate who accelerated the housing crisis and the tuition crisis for those of us who aren't Geza. Okay, that's a personal jab. It's not going to be doable for families to stay here. Even though it's better for us, for my marriage to stay in town, I recognize that it's better for them to be able to buy a home. So I encourage them to look for opportunities out of town. And so I discussed, as well as my co-panelists on that program, Should I Move? It's far more nuanced because there are many questions one has to ask. We definitely do never want to move and run from fear or panic. It's not the Torah way. And it's not a healthy way. You have to deliberate and consider all factors, including what's good for you, for your spouse, for your children, if those are your circumstances. What role you're playing in the community. Will it really be better where you're going? And best to do this with an objective, trusted mentor or someone you can talk to, because they won't have the subjectivity that you may have. And we have many guidelines regarding this, and I don't want to go over them because they're all in that program. And yes, one of the factors is, unfortunately, financial, where you can't either afford, or you uh, can find something much bigger or better, more convenient. But remember, life isn't driven only by financial. There's other factors as well. So again, I'm not going to go through the details, but thank you for that comment. The next, the next question. Why do so many people not get it? Okay. That's a good, interesting question. Let's read the details. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, may I respectfully suggest that we are indeed defined by the events that happened to us, our choices to how we choose to craft the definition. This past week has been traumatic for me as I recall the events of the pogrom. As far as I'm concerned, both the black community and the police from the superiors, beginning with then President Bush to Governor Mario Cuomo to David Mayor David Dickens, all of whom could have cared less and hap what happened to our Jewish community here in Crown Heights, referring to the summer of 1991, when tragically Yankel Rosenbaum was killed in cold blood. 
Last night at 10 p.m., when at least 1,000 protesters passed my corner at President and Utica, I simply could not believe how stupid, how thoughtless, and beyond to let marchers cross such a hot spot that could, e could have easily exploded into major danger for the community, God forbid. And thank God it did not, but still. Yes, I agree with you that one thing we can do is speak, if not shout out loud, the necessity of Sheva Mitzvahs, which is the necessity for the civil laws of civilization, foundational laws that God gave the human race. I can't even begin to imagine what would be with, without Shetrim and Shemrim. Those are police and uh, the, the law, uh, judges and law enforcers. Also deeply disturbing to me is that our Crown Heights Women for the Safety and Integrity of Israel articles, which have been published on Arut Sheva and we've been given a block spot in the Times of Israel, are not even beginning to acknowledge, being acknowledged, yet today somehow they found a spot for Jews in the neighborhood organizing a protest with BLM. Like seriously, Eretz Yisrael B'Sakona is in danger from the deal of the century. But rather than pro to promulgate the Rebbe's directives, they are being stifled. Very troubling, best. So it speaks for itself. I don't need to review it. I agree with many of the points. But we cannot be frustrated. We have to be part of the solution, which is, includes offering clarity, talking about what we're talking about here. What is the right position? Getting people focused on what's important, what's a priority, what's secondary not being distracted by the moment or by own, our own whims or the political winds blowing or other forms of peer and social pressure. Why some people don't get it? There's an expression in Chassidus is brought, a kop kemenisht arufshtal. You can't put a head on somebody. That doesn't just mean a physical head. It means you can't implant a brain if someone doesn't have a brain. Now everybody has a brain, but some people just don't get something. It could be either they've been blinded or they don't understand the sophistication of it and are shallow and superficial, or they've been brainwashed. So you have to have seichel, and you have to talk to people with seichel, and you have to be open and ready to find something that maybe you did not understand and ready to say, I didn't understand this, I made a mistake. And I need clarity to have the humility to be able to explore, evaluate, and see. Maybe we get, maybe you have it wrong. If a person cannot do that, everyone is a problem. Because you may be right at many times. You know, a broken clock is also correct twice a day. But the key human trait of an intelligent, open mind is that you look, review. I hear an opinion, and I see it challenges my previous notion, and I allow myself to explore. No one's telling you come to a conclusion, but at least be open to it. What we find today a lot is this almost like rigid, these rigid positions. This is it. I am right. You're absolutely wrong. If you're not with me, you're against me. And that's it. Case closed. No conversation, no discussion. It's hard to imagine intelligent people can be that way. But that's when things get politicized. Things become almost entertainment. And we get addicted to the different media channels we watch. We buy into every story. Maybe it happened on campus or in our earlier years. We hear certain ideas. We think these are it. That's God speaking. When in fact the whole thing could be a complete fabrication. This whole political polarization is based on this type of amaratsis, of ignorance. 
Again, we're not talking about being who's right and wrong, just being open to hear without having to dismiss and personalize and character assassinate anyone that doesn't agree with you. It's completely not the intelligent approach, not what intelligent people do. Now, I have more on this topic, but I think I'll leave this for hopefully next week. Let's see what else we can do here in this limited time. Oh boy. Yeah, since quarantine is somewhat over and to some extent, but it's still an issue, let me just do maybe this may be one of the, hopefully, the final topic, final time we speak about it for now and forever. Singles in quarantine. So someone asked, I have one comment and one question. This was clearly written a little earlier than we are now because things are opening up, but then things are closing. You know, it's Slebedik and Freilich, as they say. As far as quarantine goes, it's much more difficult for singles because those with families have the members of their family to be social and interact with. Rabbi Jacobson, can you please give a bracha that all those singles who sincerely want to get married for the proper reasons should find a shidduch right away with no obstacles and should have the healthy children and should have healthy children and good parnosa, livelihood. I'm putting money into tzedakah as I write this question to make a keli for your forthcoming bracha. So let me respond to that first, then I'll get to the question. Birchus hediet, whatever it's worth, I give my bracha, schus of my work, schus of the work of working for the Rebbe in doing whatever possible to publish, to produce, and to disseminate the ideas based on Torah and Chassidus that gives us strength, and that's Chus. May you and every single be blessed that the channel should open up with the least amount of aggravation to finding your bashet, your soulmate. Regardless of the conditions we're in right now, there's an neshama for each person. Every person that came to this earth has an neshama waiting. And God should bless not just finding, but being wise enough that you should have the wisdom to not let any of your own emotional obstacles or issues get in the way. Sometimes you meet the person Hashem sends, but you need to also be receptive to it. So my bracha is a twofold one. Hashem should send that person to you, and you should be receptive and not block that blessing from entering into your life, God forbid. It should happen now. We should have many, many simchas this year and brachas and families that are born, new children, new born in the, the sacred union of a kedushin of a marriage. And it says, So one of the things that causes Mashiach to come is when more neshamas come into this world, as the Rebbe emphasized a number of times. And we'll say amen to that. And I said, please invite me to the wedding, whatever type of wedding it may be. Under the circumstances, again, there's a lot of creative, innovative ways that people are celebrating. That's the bracha. A question I have, the, the question I have is, for over 25 years I've been davening for a shidduch. I have traveled to the Kotel, to Kivrit Sadikim, all over Europe to daven there too. But so far it hasn't worked out yet. I have a job. Nobody makes the bracha, Mishan Habrius, when they walk past me. So that's not the problem. That's the blessing you make when somebody is like different. Okay. What can I add to my davening or daven differently in order that God should accept my prayer and answer positively? Thank you. Being that I don't know who you are, 
I don't know all the details. It's hard to answer because maybe something, if we spoke, I can perhaps identify something. But I would say one of the first things you can do, everybody can do, is get another opinion. Which means, if you've done everything you believe you've done, and there's no reason to say you haven't, we need to see, is there another perspective? Because a person cannot see everything. You may not even see what you're doing that may be undermining. And I'm not pointing fingers. No, God, everybody has their challenges. And God should help them just break it through, as I said before. But that's, you asked me, what can be done? It's getting someone who you, care, who, who you trust and cares about you to look at your situation and maybe suggest something different. But you have to be receptive to that. Daven differently, you could keep saying to Hashem, look, I don't know what it is, but you do know, like we say often, that give us, please bless us with things that we don't know that we need, but you know that we need. So I would add that dimension as well, because that will cover on areas that we may not be able to identify ourselves. And I believe you doing those things and continuing and not giving up, being persistent, Hashem, you guide them, it's us, it will ultimately bless you to find that neshama, that soulmate that's there for you. And you should do everything possible to make sure that you're a keli for that. Okay. Okay, with that we will conclude. It's a good, on a good note. A bracha for shaduchim for everybody. And um, so this has been My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 315. Everyone should have a very guladika month, true guladika month as we go toward Yudbez. Thomas coming Shabbos, Chukas Bolok the passages that talk about Geula and applying it to our lives in a personal way. The Rebbe should invoke and beseech God, say enough is enough, have Rachmanus on our children, on the people, on all the Jews and all the people in the world and bring the Geula Amitiz Vashlema. That should happen, Mamish of Mamish, these days, even before the Chagah Geula of Yud Bez Yud Gimel Tamas. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. It's an honor, a true honor, a distinct honor to interact in this way. Please send your questions, your comments, your feedback. It's necessary. That's what we thrive on. And, of course, a great honor would be as well if you want to dedicate a program or a series of programs to a loved one an anniversary, a birthday, or a yard site, Lahavdil. It's an excellent opportunity to do so. So simply go to chassidusapplied.com slash donate or sponsor. And please sponsor our program and help us continue developing and producing and further expanding all these programs until the dissemination of the wellsprings of chassidus, chutzah, to the outskirts, to the farthest outskirts, which Mashiach said, when you do that, that's when Mashiach will come. Be well and be blessed. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.